Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is it time to take profits in tech? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Greg Weldon, CEO of Weldon Financials. Hi, Greg. It's great to see you. What's up, Maggie? How you doing? I'm doing well. You look no worse for the wear. We were just talking, as you all know, we're a little bit delayed, and Greg had some serious car issues, but we're happy to report that he's okay and he made it. Driving back from the gym, you find out your brake fluid is gone and you have no brakes. It's a little sketchy, yeah. It's totally sketchy, but and, and I'm so happy that you're okay and, yeah, and no grateful that you hustled into the seat after that sort of I perilous did. experience. So cool Absolutely. and calm under pressure, which you kind of need to be in the, in these markets, right? So we, um, we saw stocks ended in the red as the debt negotiations continue to grind along without any resolution. The VIX was up. It's still it's still very well behaved, but it was up a little bit today, about 8%. Mm-hmm. What do you at what point do you think investors start to lose their patience and start to send Washington a stronger signal? Well, patience is really such a good word to be used right now today because there's patience being shown and there's patience not being shown. But you know when it comes to the debt ceiling issue, I mean come on. This has to be the single most stupid thing we ever talk about. Like they're not going to expand the debt ceiling. You know, what people kind of, I think, don't fully grasp is when they hear this, is really the bigger picture message, which is simply the government is broke. They're insolvent. They can't continue to operate unless they can continually, perpetually borrow trillions and trillions of more dollars. And as it becomes a $31.4 trillion public debt, Okay, now you each time you want to boost that by a certain percentage, the nominal underlying figure is a lot more money. So I think that that's the number one big thing that people just kind of don't get. And they want to spend all this money and the, the Republicans don't want to raise taxes. And oh, my God, I mean, this is politics at its worst. Yeah. We've gone from having like a, you know, a two party system that was our strength that has now become our kind of our downfall because it's so divided. It will yeah. get resolved. It's not going to be a problem. There's no way they're going to default on their debt. They don't want to have to blame each other. So to me, it's a non-starter. The patience factor comes much more in terms of the Fed. Yeah, I, I so oh the Fed. So we'll, we'll we'll circle back to some of the issues you raised. But um, what are you what are you looking at for the Fed? Because you know we um, I think it was Jim Bianco the other day had a, a chart we liked. It was sort of what the Fed's saying and then what the market expectations are, and they're pretty far apart. And the Fed's continuing yeah. to sort of sound hawkish. What's yeah, Bianco is one of the greats in our in our yeah. business, so always pay attention to Jim Bianco. Uh, I've been saying the same thing for a long time. I mean, if you look at the deferred Fed funds forwards for the end of next year, at one point they were below three percent. I mean, the market is anticipating two hundred basis points of rate cuts by the end of next year, and you know, high probability over eighty percent. Last I looked, that that begins this year. Now, the Fed they don't want to see this. They don't want to hear this narrative. They want to see inflation come down. They want to have inflation down for a period of time. They have buried, this Fed has been probably too transparent. It goes back to 2018. I talk about this all the time. 11 white papers the Fed put out on their new policy paradigm, right? I, over 300 pages. I read every single page. The Fed told us exactly what they were going to do 
when inflation started to rise. They were going to let it rise. There was no tolerance bans, no point where they begin to take action just because it's reached a certain level. It would be above average for an extended period of time. And the time length they were talking about was eight years, right? And they let that happen, right? They were way too slow to start tightening. They were late, way too lame at the beginning with just a 25 basis point increase in the first hike. I mean, come on, after it's already too late, they missed the boat. And now they're making the mistake on the flip side, you would think, all right? But at the same time, if you listen to what Powell has said, if you go back to 1978, Paul Volcker testifying on Capitol Hill, the, the verbiage, the words, the syntax is almost exactly the same. All right. This is the Volcker playbook. Powell told us in 2018 at Jackson Hole, Volcker's his guy. And we can have inflation because we know how to defeat it. The problem is, Maggie, you don't, the debt dynamic is so much different now than it was in the yeah. 70s. You can't fiscally blow your way out of a recession now. All right. And the bigger issue is the debt, you know, black hole and a debt implosion and a debt deflation if you push too hard. So Powell has almost become like the executioner here, where he's told us we want the labor market to have rising unemployment. All right. We now it's kind of when you hear the Fed and Jenny Yellen talk about the banking system, they're very complacent about this in the sense of we expect further tightening in credit. Mm. So they kind of want to bring the guillotine down on the consumer. In terms of credit, the, the amount of credit the consumers borrowed over the last year is a record amount because they needed to pay the bills, right? So already now, the household survey on credit was just an enormous number, huge report. You're up $3 trillion since the pandemic. That's 20.5 percentage points in three years. That is wholly unsustainable. Not only that, consumers have borrowed at the highest cost of borrowing for consumers in history, right? So this is not sustainable to the point where all of a sudden, after being way down and historic lows and no one's worried about it, the delinquencies are on the rise, the transformation into delinquent, and now the serious delinquent, and it's all about credit cards. So this is a problem for the Fed going forward if they're going to be the executioner that's going to bring the guillotine down on the economy, kind of like they said they want to do. So this narrative in the market of they're going to be cutting rates, they're going to be forced to cut rates by next year because of the economy and we're going to price that in. The dollar peaked well before the Fed was done or even talked about being done. And that came way down, you know, 20% year over year gain that turned into nothing. And that's why gold's at $2,000. You think the Fed wants to turn now with gold at $2,000 in the stock market within a few percentage points of new highs? Absolutely not. So when you come to the stock market, the question is, does the Fed want to see pain in the stock market first? And I think that that's kind of the way this has to play out. And I think the pricing in the in the futures market may not be too optimistic, but you're not going to get there in a straight line, not from here. So, so tons to unpack there. Let's let's go from the last thing you said because um, we started the the show out talking about whether it's time to take profits in tech. I mean, everyone kind of has been expecting this this you know them to break the stock market for the the you know valuations to go down and instead especially in tech right that was the future profit going to get killed by higher interest rates and anybody who was short it it's been it's been terrible for them we've seen and it's been it's granted narrow but it's gone up and up and up and today we have an apple broadcom deal in the news you know chips have been hot we have ai everywhere we've seen what's happening with nvidia and microsoft are you worried about valuations here can this thing keep running or is it that area and then everything else in the stock market? How do you see that? Yeah, I think it can keep running. And if you look at a couple of stocks, I mean, Amazon, for example, and even Meta, uh, I believe the metaverse going forward, virtual reality, that's still a real story. It's kind of gotten overshadowed by AI recently. But uh, I think in the future, that's still a good play longer term. You have Amazon, which 
had a 61% retracement of the move from 2008. You know, you've had big pain in some of these high tech that have put in patterns now where I think they're probably value even here. But those are the ones that have been beaten down as opposed to NVIDIA or Oracle or like say Broadcom, which have just taken off, all right? Um, I think that when you have this much money still kind of sloshing around and when you're you know, looking at moving money around, this still becomes a top pick until it's not. It's almost like musical chairs. Is tech going to be the one left with no chair to sit down in when the music stops? I don't know. Uh, I'm not worried about it right here, but the market to me is pretty neutral. Even though you want to be exposed to the big cap tech, that has been the place to be. It continues the place to be. They're the strongest like internal quantitative readings for bull market trends. Uh, so, yes, I think that that's still a play. But I worry about come August, September into early October. And what is the situation with credit then? And what is the Fed's narrative then? And where is the market pricing you know, forward Fed's funds then? And then maybe you get a reality check for the stock market and everything just kind of gets obliterated, much like what I think the Fed wouldn't mind seeing, frankly, right now. They so want to reduce credit because credit is frothy. Yeah, and uh, that doesn't come without pain. You're making a differentiation, and several have. Um, even today, I was talking to Jim Rogers earlier. You, you've got this long-term view that the stock market's vulnerable, but in the short term, it's hard to fight it. It sounds like that's what you're saying. It's hard to fight that liquidity moving into these tech names. Absolutely, and it's you know, it's very. You can see how powerful it is. Just take a look at chart of Nvidia, Oracle, or Broadcom. I mean, any of them. And I think even the lesser names are starting to pull up. You even have some of the consumer staples acting well because they've had these huge declines. Now, consumer stable is not in a position to lead the market back out of this. So I think that's still a major kind of yellow flag, caution flag waving at the racetrack. But when you look at where that strength is coming from, three of the top five bullish trends in consumer staples in the XLY are home builders. And the XHB is acting well too. So I think you really can pick your choices when you come to home builders, we know it's a fundamental story that is continually dominated by lack of supply. Yeah. You know, you have home sales have come down and thus starts to come down, permits have come down, and you're kind of take you're on the verge of taking out a trend line that goes all the way back to the housing crisis low of 2009 and 10, right? When QE started in, in March of 2009. So when you look at that dynamic and then you compare like what the homes are and what how many homes we're starting and building right now compared to like the late 1980s. It's kind of similar, except you have 30 million more people in the U.S. now than you did in the 80s. So I think this is a long-term problem where the home builders are acting really well, too, and probably continue to act well, even to the degree that they're not really outperforming the market yet. But I think that's a place where you can probably hide in what might be coming next. Uh, even know, but, with the even in this higher interest rate environment. Well, yeah, but I think you know rates have peaked in terms of you know the Fed and mortgages. So uh, you know you've already seen some of the decline. You've already seen a little bit of life. I mean, let's be real. I mean, the, the refi you know, index and the MBA you know, weekly mortgage activity numbers hasn't been this low in 25 years, all right? The, the, the purchase index from its peak was down over 40%. So these markets, the mortgage market got crushed. You know, the MBB, the ETF for the mortgages got crushed. So there's been a lot of pain there. And I think that that will be one of the things that will kind of lead out the next, the next wave. The question is, how do you get the Fed in a position to support that thought? And yeah. you know, that remains the big question. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. And, and in one of your reports, so so obviously we're buying iPhones, we're using ChatGPT, we're definitely vacationing and use, going to restaurants and the services have been hot. 
and still buying homes. But you sent over some charts and it kind of paints a very dire picture. You mentioned all the credit card debt. So we clearly yeah. been buying it on on credit. But you meant it, it doesn't look like it's a very healthy picture of the U.S. consumer. I mean, I think we have a if Brian could dig it out, a, a retail sales year over year chart. There's a ton of retail charts. So if you can find it amid them all, Bri. But, this, you know, doesn't that doesn't that suggest that it's going to be really tough for the economy to avoid anything but a pretty large recession? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I did the piece was called, uh, I was asking, is Jerome Powell the reincarnation of uh, Charles uh, Henry uh, Sanson, who was the executioner of King Louis XVI of France in 1793? And I'm wondering, is the consumer on the chopping block? And I kind of think he is. And if you look at the retail sales numbers, which I'll detail a little bit in a second, it's like the guillotine has come down, but it hasn't yet broke the spinal cord. You know, but when you look at these retail sales numbers, when you look at the dollars spent, first of all, you have to remember, these numbers are inflated by inflation. So the actual numbers, if you took the inflation dynamic that pushes the value of sales up out of the equation, these would be so deeply negative, it's not even funny. And in fact, every discretionary sector except uh, eating and drinking establishments and online sales, every other one, clothing, furniture, electronics, uh, appliances, garden supply, building materials, vehicles even, sporting goods, and books and hobbies and all that, every one, is negative on a rolling 12-month basis year over year on a monthly you know, count, right? And to the degree that garden supply uh, uh, and uh, building material stores, Lowe's, Home Depot, had fared really well during the pandemic. Of course, you know, got to stay home. Everyone's fixing up their homes. It's a do-it-yourselfers, you know, love fest, right? Well, you have a $1.6 trillion year-over-year decline in the monthly sales total for those stores right now. There's only one other time it's been that deep. 2007 and 2008 before you had a crisis. Mm. So when you have all of these things that are negative, you have deflation in consumer spending in retail sales that is very evident and is actually not as bad as it doesn't look as bad as it really is because of inflation and the, and the way they calculate these numbers. Yeah, so, which is a whole, we, we, you know, we've done some deep dives into that. There's some, there's some issue with that. A lot of it's backward looking, a lot of it lags. Um, so if that's the case, Certainly the Fed is getting, we know they're getting the, the regional surveys at least, which are a little bit more in real time. We know we expect um, a pinch from the credit crunch, which is coming from the regional bank crisis. Do you think this is enough evidence for them to pause? Why would they, why do you think they're sounding st so hawkish still? Isn't that slowdown coming and won't that demand take care of inflation? Well, I think the hawkishness is in response to where the market is. So ah. I think they have to keep that narrative up when the market is pricing in such a dovish outcome over the next 18 months. That's the last thing they want. So, of course, they're going to say, why do you think the guy just said the other day, I think it was Bowman from, from Boston said, you know, we have no interest in, in cutting rates until the second half of next year at the earliest. Of course, this is the narrative. And this goes back to Powell and what he said he was going to do. And he said, when we got to this point, we'd have to be restrictive for longer OK, because that's a because loosening too soon would be a bigger policy error than waiting too long at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And there's you know, there's some sense that you could make you know a case for that thought process for sure. But I think the hawkishness is verbal intervention against the market's pricing because the Fed doesn't want to be seen as turning dovish here with the stock market near record highs and gold at 2000 and the dollar basically at big technical levels where if uh, you violate those levels, the dollar is going to be in big trouble to the downside. Uh, so I think that all works against the, what the Fed wants the narrative to be, and they will maintain that 
even though I think they're done. I don't see them raising rates again. I don't see how they possibly can when inflation has come down to a level that is below the Fed funds rate. Right? You talk about where is restricted. Well, the, one of the 2018 white papers was all about our star. Where is a neutral policy rate? And they determined for the U.S. basically 50 basis points above the rate of inflation. In this case, the Fed uses PCE, which is even lower than CPI, would be neutral. By that measure, they're neutral, if not somewhat restrictive right now. So they kind of are where they want to be. And you still have two months of base effect in inflation that probably brings it down a little more. But the question is the stickiness of inflation. And food is a big problem. Yeah. 40% of the food items in food at home, which is 108 components, 40% are still in double-digit rates every yeah. month, you know, month after month. Uh, so that's a big problem going forward. And the Fed has to be concerned about that. It is a big problem. And I, it's actually something that I talked to Jim Rogers about today. We had him on for a deep dive. And he's also, but very much giving voice to this, the difficulty of this transition. But longer term, he's also worried about that food inflation, general inflation, and continues to like commodities in the face of what he thinks will be persistent inflation. Let's have a listen to a clip from that, and we'll talk on the other side. Throughout history, uh, when everybody's printing money or whenever, whenever people are stimulating the economy, it leads to, it has always led to inflation. It has again, it will lead to more inflation. And the best place to be when you have inflation is real assets and real assets are commodities. I mean, I own some silver right here. I'll buy more if it goes down more and gold and other things as well. But, you know, bonds have, are in a bubble and have been in a bubble for a while. We've never had such expensive bonds in the history of the world. Property in many places, Korea, New Zealand, many places are certainly a bubble. Parts of China and stocks have been bubblish, if not bubbles, and it depends on the country. So the cheapest asset that I know is still commodities. It was such an interesting conversation with Jim and for some of our members who've already seen it. Um, he was very transparent about how difficult this environment is, um, knew a lot about what he didn't like, but was kind of keeping his powder dry and keeping maximum flexibility. Um, I, I noticed that too, but uh, he um, talked about this, also three trading ideas. So the full interview is available on our website. Just scan the QR code and join our community and you can see it. Super interesting, Greg, to hear from somebody who sort of lived through so many crises um, and profited from a lot of them too, it should be said. Um, what, what's, your, what's your feeling about commodities here? I really like them. And I think, you know, the bottom line is you had a 40-year downtrend in inflation and in interest rates. Okay, started with Volcker, 1982, when he, you know, took rates to ridiculous levels, choked the economy out. And thank God we had fiscal stimulus because we don't have that right now in the same you know, degree that we did then. So that's a problem going forward. But as it stands, you know, you have now turned a corner. I mean, you're not going to get interest rates lower than zero. The whole European you know, negative interest rate experiment was a complete failure. You know, they sucked money out of the system and totally worked in reverse and it sent a bad psychological message to consumers. You know? So from that perspective, when you start talking about what's the biggest shift, all right, the biggest shift is QE. QE is only as recent as 2009. Mm. And if you kind of look at the last gasp in deflation, and then now what we had and the pandemic certainly was a catalyst, but this would be happening anyway, because you have this turn now where you're printing so much money because the nominal underlying amounts are so much 
to get the same bang for your buck that you need to keep this bubble going because it's a 50-year credit bubble. Uh, and especially if the Fed's going to want to clamp down on credit in a credit bubble, I mean, wow, can we not picture how many ways that could go sideways? Mm. Uh, it's, it is what the definition of inflation is, more money chasing fewer goods. Now you have both sides of that equation working against you if you're, you know, want to fight inflation. So I feel that that is one, one thing. Number two, you also have a lot of commodities that are potentially in short supply autonomously. Supply demand fundamentals in many commodities, particularly the food commodities, which is why, again, you have to watch food when it comes to inflation. There's no base effect when you have 108 components in the food at home index. Yeah. All right. So like you have energy, it's crude, it's gasoline, they move together. You don't have that in food. You also have, although the predictions right now have kind of shifted to where we're expecting a very, not very hot summer here in the U.S., you also have a vicious El Nino forming in the Pacific. And this could wreak havoc on a lot of crops over the next 18 to 24 months. You're, you're basically pinning all your hopes on South American crops. They're going to follow up a big U.S. crop with some of these grains, right? The problem there is multiple in terms of currencies, in terms of Okipa farms, in terms of so many different factors that are kind of work against thinking that, you know, you have this really narrow margin of error, so thin in some of these food commodities, where any supply side disruption will result in skyrocketing prices for many things. So I like the commodity sector. We like the, some of the soft tropicals right now. Sugar has been a great performer. You can trade the ETFs for that. We actually just reinduced our ETF playbook to try and help people think more like CTAs, like what we are. You need to be involved in currencies. You need to be involved in bonds. You need to be involved in global stock indexes. And you need to be involved in commodities, things you've probably never been involved with before, to keep pace with the debasement of the value of paper money that mm. all this printing of money you know, initiates. So yeah, commodities longer term, very bullish on them uh, because you know what they're going to do in the next time. Consider this one fact. Outside of three weeks at the peak of the pandemic in April of 2020, the biggest single week money printing uh, operation ever conducted by the Fed and Treasury, single biggest week in history was in March because of SBB Bank. Mm. So it's like, oh my gosh, you know, every little hiccup, man, we're going to print hundreds of billions of dollars. How quick were they with all this narrative about fighting inflation? You got a bank in trouble and it's the largest single week ever of money printing. Yeah. That speaks volumes to what's coming next and to what the future holds. It's more money printing. It's more debasement of the value of your paper money and wealth and income. And it's uh, higher prices for pretty much everything. And that could even include stocks. You know, I mean, the Merval in Argentina makes new highs every year. Do you think that's a better standard of living for the people in Argentina? No, not necessarily, because they can't keep pace with the inflation. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's a great point. And, and uh, it touched on two things that um, for those who who saw my conversation with Raul recently talking about liquidity um, certainly fits into that. Um, and and just the, the, the new environment we're in, more cowbell, as he would say. Um, so we answered Ralph's question and Green Avocado's question about inflation. I didn't even have to ask you, Greg. You're just yeah. rifling through what, what's on people's mind. Trillion X agreeing with you. With El Nino, there's no way food inflation will ease anytime soon. David's asking, what sectors are investable for a one to three year horizon? Oh man, that's a good question. I mean, one to three year horizon. I take a you know three to six month and then twelve month, twelve to eighteen month. Um, I still think that there's a lot of places in high tech. I still think the home builders. If you're looking at you know some of the equities, I think there are foreign equity markets that will do well. 
Um, I think that, frankly, some of the high inflation countries in Eastern Europe, assuming, you know, that China and Russia don't completely take over, you know, the, 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 uh, the eastern part of Europe, um, you know, is, is investable, too, just because they have so much downside in inflation that could allow them to cut rates a lot more. So when you kind of see this rate cutting fever begin, maybe this year, probably not till next year. Uh, some of the markets that have been hard hit, some of the emerging markets will do well. Some of the commodity producing countries would do well. Some of those currencies are investable too. Mexican peso, Brazilian real. Let's not forget, you know, you're, you're making a move by China. We talk about this all the time. And spe especially since China introduced the sh uh, in Shanghai, a renminbi based uh, Dubai grade crude oil futures contract. Do we not see the writing on the wall in terms of the petrodollar, in terms of the dollar as the means of global trade, all right? So you got to start thinking about that and how do you protect yourself? Currencies like the Brazilian real would be in line to uh, benefit from something like that. So I see a lot of places to invest. I'm not a trader per se, because I'm not in and out. I want to put positions on, I put my stop in, I got trailing stops and I want to hold stuff for 18 to 24 months and I have, all right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, I'm not married to any idea because one thing I've learned is you have to be willing to admit you're wrong and turn on a dime sometimes uh, because it's not about being right or wrong. It's about making money and providing return and catching the big moves that happen every year. Uh, so for me, you know, answering that question is a day to day task. And thank God I love my job because I do that every day. <laughs> yeah. And it's so true. And, and, you know, we reinforce that all the time, especially now when conditions are so changeable and you have central banks in there and, you know, all sorts of cross currents that everyone has to deal with. You've got to stay vigilant. Jim Rogers said the same exact thing. Uh, just as we close out, you mentioned, I, I, I heard you mention the ETF. Are you making changes? Did you introduce a new one? What's happening with that? Well, we used to do the ETF playbook and uh, right. it was really kind of, we had a lot of interest. I know I'm a, I'm a math and science geek at heart. People wouldn't know it to look at me. I'm seven feet tall, 300 pounds, you know, <laughs> walk around, I have a deep, booming voice. So people don't really look at me as a geek, but I grew up as a math and science geek. I wrote algorithms back in the 80s that I still use and quant before there was quant type of thing. And back in 2007 and eight, we had a lot of parties interested in some of our quant work and then the market blew up. We really never kind of pursued it, kept in my back pocket. But we're, we've reintroduced the product that used to be, you know, a product that we sold that we're going to restart selling again, which is the ETF playbook. And this is, again, like I said, trying to put in the mindset of doing some of the things that we just talked about, mm. of being almost a hedge fund or commodity trading advisor mentality to this and using the ETFs to do that while still keeping kind of a core on outperforming the S&P by being in the top performing sectors. Uh, we even break it down into individual shares. Don't we? Don't recommend individual shares. Mm -hmm. but for example, like we were talking about with the with the consumer staples or the industrials or with the, the information technology sector, healthcare too. Those are some of the sectors that we've been on the bull side a little bit recently. Uh, we also break down what's the most bullish trends in those equities mm -hmm. that make up the S and P 500 in those sectors too. So it's a pretty broad based thing. It covers. I mean, we talk about the commodities, we talk about the currencies, and we cover all those ETFs but still keep a stock market kind of portfolio approach to it to kind of bridge the gap from people yeah. that, you know, can't have enough money to trade, you know, futures or something like commodities by themselves, you know, don't want to invest with a CTA, want to do it themselves. And I, I really celebrate those people. We want to try and help them and uh, expand our business at the same time. So it's kind of fantastic. A I love it. And then, and you know, we, that that's our mission as well is to help as many people as possible. And I think we all need it now because we've got to, yeah. 
We can't just um, even the professionals need it now. It's re- lock, it, I mean, it really has become very difficult. You yeah, know? you can't lock and load and yeah. you know just go away for a couple months. You've just yeah. really got to stay on top of it in this environment. So we love it. And the opportunities love- will be fantastic. I mean, they exactly, really will. and that's what we're also trying to look for—not just the the risk, but the opportunities. That's important, Greg. We love having you on because you can talk across so many markets. It's fantastic. My pleasure. Always happy to contribute. Anytime. Fantastic. Always great. And I'm, I'm happy that you were able to make it. Um, <laughs> Me too. The rest of the week is a little bit easier cruising for you, but yeah, I appreciate no you being here as always. And thanks to all of you for the great questions. I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy Thornton. So be sure to join uh, us for that. And as always, in the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 